that question and if you look at what I said you will see that that question was answered perfectly and I was talking about people that went because they felt very strongly about the monument to Robert E. Lee a great general whether you like it or not he was one of the great generals I've spoken to many generals here right at the White House and many people thought of the generals they think that he was maybe their favorite general people were there protesting the taking down of the monument of Robert E. Lee. Everybody knows that. I just feel like a young man. I'm so young. I am a young, vibrant man. I look at Joe. I don't know about him. I don't know. No, I wish you were in high school. I could take him behind the gym. Greetings, and welcome to the very first inaugural episode of the Blue Ridge Strategic Podcast, the show where professional marketers help you understand the attacks on the 2020 presidential elections that you are living through right this minute. We've studied the methods of the Russians and others who didn't just meddle or attempt to influence, but committed egregious acts of cyber warfare against our country in the 2016 elections. It wasn't the first time hostile foreign governments have attempted to tilt the scales in an election in our country, but it was the first time they had willing cooperation, coordination, and amplification from a presidential candidate and his campaign apparatus. There's no reason to expect this upcoming election cycle will be any different, so we're here to help shine a light on those methods that the hostile actors use and how we can use them ourselves. We want to help you understand proven counter-messaging strategies and run data-driven tests of our own on political messaging in the hopes to educate others in our profession and the public at large on how to fight back against the constant gaslighting with the very tools the aggressors use against us. I'm Aaron P., a digital communications designer and marketing consultant to the Democratic Party, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kevin B. Hey, guys. I'm a marketing professional and a news-obsessed progressive. I've done a little bit of work with Elizabeth Warren uh, organizing, and I feel like I should just get that out of the way at the beginning. And we're both principals at a digital firm called Blue Ridge Strategic. Uh, shall we get started? Yes, definitely. All right. We should point out that this podcast format is going to double as our end-of-week stand-up meeting, and we're recording it and sharing it with the public because the hope is that our insights can be utilized all over the country. So we're going to run every episode just like any other meeting, hot washing the events of the week uh, and the work that we've done for each other and for you at home. Hopefully it's a more no-nonsense and to-the-point part of your media diet out of respect for everyone's time. Uh, so with that, let's uh, kick today's meeting off. Okay. Our first segment uh, is called What We've Seen, uh, and it's touching base on what we've observed since uh, we last sat down together. It is the first week of May, 2019. The news is still dominated by the fallout of the release of the Mueller report in its redacted form. It revealed a sprawling, systematic, and multi-pronged attack on our country by Russia and a campaign all too willing to benefit from, coordinate with, and amplify the messaging of these Russian attackers. We learned from the fantastic intelligence newsletter, OODA Loop, uh, that everyone should subscribe to, um, that both DHS and FBI say that election systems in all 50 states were targeted in 2016. Um, the FBI, according to the Mueller report, believes that this operation enabled the GRU to gain access to the network of at least one Florida county government, despite denials uh, for the last two years that, that anything like that could have ever happened. Uh, so please keep a pin in that because that's one that we're going to continue to monitor as the Russians continue to step up their uh, infrastructure hacking. So it's a developing story to, that we will return to again and again. Even Kirsten Nielsen recognized the threat, but along with the rest of her administration, she chose to abdicate their civic responsibility and continue the abhorrent uh, policies at the White House. I guess making sure we limit the number of brown children in the country is more important than a coordinated complex attack by a foreign adversary. Indeed, we learned a network of more than 5,000 pro-Trump Twitter bots activated and railed against the, quote, Russiagate hoax in the week after the release of the report. Uh, is 5,000 enough to game the algorithm and elevate skew into the trending topics? Uh, looking at you, Jack. In a rare public appearance last Tuesday, Jared Kushner, President Trump's son-in-law, 
one of his closest advisors, the one in charge of Middle East peace, ending world hunger, and defending King's Landing and the Iron Throne from the threat of Daenerys Targaryen, downplayed the expenditures of the Russian government and said that the multiple investigations into Russian election interference have been more harmful to American democracy than the original interference itself. Mueller's report, of course, revealed a years-long plot by the Russian government to interfere uh, that investigators in the U.S. called sweeping and systematic. Now, as to the amount of money spent on Facebook ads, Facebook said Russian operatives did spend less than $200,000 on advertising on the platform, but that does not account for the organic content that operatives created and shared. So not only were influence specialists within Russian's Internet Research Agency, or IRA, purchasing normal advertisements, they were authoring their own posts, their own memes, and other types of content as they posed as American users. So it's a completely different metric to have an influencer account, like the ones that the Russians called blacktivists or Americans for freedom, you know, with tens of thousands of followers each post something organically for free that gets massive numbers of engagements and eyeballs than buying you know 100,000 eyeballs in ad spend so Kushner he knows this and is just gaslighting you because he thinks you're stupid uh, and, and we have to call him out on that when we see it we are uniquely qualified to speak on it so that's what we're going to do from now until we get rid of these clowns so they also reached out to politically active Americans, posing as like-minded supporters, and helped organize rallies and other events in the real world, organizing oppositional rallies across from one another. Uh, on Facebook alone, 32 pages uh, created between March 2017 and May 2018, operated by the IRA and, and others, uh, attracted nearly 300,000 people to ads, events, and posts, including, uh, I want to point out, event organization around the Unite the Right 2 rally in D.C., which drew a huge crowd of resistance activists and anti-fascist factions, which is hard to say, uh, who were there prepared for what they thought was the legitimate threat of violent clashes with the white nationalists. Um, and, and I know this because I was there and I saw the pathetic turnout from the right wing uh, and realized that something was not right about this at the time. We saw the draw of un the original Unite the Right. Um, so that was a that was a really interesting <laughs> moment in time. Um, another example I can give you, uh, a disinformation attack was dropped on the people of Durham, North Carolina, when I was living there, about an armed white nationalist march through the street that never appeared. Um, but this nevertheless shut down businesses all through downtown because of the threat of violence. And again, I was there along with hundreds of other activists, and the assembled crowd was so agitated that the group ended up pulling down a Confederate statue outside the courthouse, and it caused all sorts of polarizing ripples throughout the country. So uh, just consider these anecdotes that I have personally uh, and draw your own conclusions about what the Russians hope was for the outcomes of these particular operations but uh, this isn't stopping and it will eventually inevitably successfully lead to more violence in the street and you can bet we'll cover them as they happen Facebook says that the internet research agency may have reached as many as 126 million people separately Twitter announced that about a million and a half people may have been in contact with IRA-controlled accounts. So you couple that with the data harvested by Trump team and longtime Republican operative Sam Patton, who helped hone the Russian-backed and Russian-employing micro-targeting operation at Steve Bannon's Cambridge Analytica. Uh, you think that Patton is like the one lone degree of separation between Trump and the indicted Russian conspirator Konstantin Kalimnik, with whom Patton had shared decades of working together on shady operations. Uh, we know that Paul Manafort was sharing specific tactical campaign data with Konstantin Kalimnik in a New York City cigar bar. Uh, he was giving private briefings to Oleg Deripaska uh, so that he could, you know, get a hole and get rid of the debts that he owed him. Um, those two guys are Russian intelligence assets, very close to Putin, uh, who had... Uh, clearly compromised the Trump campaign chairman. Uh, and the whole of the IRA, Internet Research Agency, started to look uh, not just like a group of meddling hackers, but an actual military operation. And we found out that they got their funding from Yevgeny Prigozhin, who is called Putin's chef, and is the same guy who runs the private military force called Wagner Group. Soldiers who are contractors in this mercenary army do not have to wear the Russian flag on their shoulders, but make no mistake, this is a Russian auxiliary force nonetheless. And they have done some crazy shit like invaded Crimea and aided in its illegal violent seizure from Ukraine. And they were part of the force that attacked U.S. soldiers in the Battle of Kesham last year in Syria, where those PMCs suffered hundreds of casualties. And uh, we actually have intercepted radio chatter during this event uh, available for you to listen to on YouTube if you want to hear what it sounds like when Russian mercenaries are introduced to American close air support. 
It is, in one sense, pretty satisfying, but in some sense, it's horrifying when you let it sink in that this is no longer a post-Cold War geopolitical spat or a thawing war or a lukewarm war. This is a current active war, and it's being waged against us with these sort of needling provocations on multiple fronts. And at the highest levels of our government, they're just doing fuck all to combat it. And in numerous cases, they're actively undermining our ability to respond to or even monitor and understand these threats. And it's, it's just a grave threat to our national security and the security of our allies. So we will step up into this void that's being created by this gross negligence, which is frankly fucking stunning, and, and do whatever small bit that we can to, to try and bring attention to it. So uh, it's time, we think, to talk about this in the sort of life-or-death terms that accurately reflect the stakes. Um, frankly, I don't believe that we as a country have really enough time to course-correct this in the next year and a half before people go to the ballots. Uh, and there's a very good chance that you know this environment that we live in will only continue to degrade and and it'll, it'll be by design so uh but it won't be for lack of effort on the parts of uh, groups and organizations uh like ourselves and the journalists who are doing just about everything within their power to uh push back and resist and and they'll continue to uh, be validated just stay tuned uh but we have to remember to look beyond just the social media aspect of the inter- uh, of the interference because that was just one dimension of the attack Cyber attackers also went after political victims in the United States in, uh, in 2016, uh, whose emails and other data were released publicly to embarrass them, and state elections officials and other targets like electrical and nuclear infrastructure. And there may have been other avenues of interference as well. Uh, if we can catch these things as they're happening and understand the trends and lines of provocation and probing, we may just be able to, as a country, formulate a response, or at the very least, a defense. But what we have right now is wholly inadequate. Um, That's heavy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Trump Trump himself amplified that messaging effort this past week by uh, tweeting a handful of really thoughtful and grammatically correct messages of his own, which were full of lies about the Mueller report, as you would uh, expect, and, and full of lies about the investigators that worked tirelessly for the last two years to expose the corruption and the danger that the uh, country faces. And I uh, figure that this would be a good moment to congratulate him for passing uh, the 10,000 lies mark. Woo! <laughs> well, well done, sir. Um, don't buy anything that the White House spokespeople and senior staff are saying as they make the rounds, uh, sort of milking this last bit of victory lap um, that they can over the successfully spun Mueller report. Uh, so anyone who tries to regurgitate uh, their narratives onto you or, or onto your timeline, you just send them to us, okay? Uh, and perhaps finally, for me, a word in memoriam of the passing of the NRA. This somehow tax-exempt organization uh, allowed their finances to be used to launder millions of dollars from Russia into the Trump presidential campaign and to augment and amplify their advertising in illegal coordination efforts that are well-documented. All of these, uh, all this information will be in our show notes, so check that out. Uh, but now that the New York Attorney General has started an audit of their books, they've just completely imploded in the past week. Uh, there's a leadership crisis, and they're operating in the red. They're seemingly on the brink of dissolving and have been for uh, maybe a couple months now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've just they focused for so long on protecting their sort of perverted, autoerotic view of the second half of the second clause of the Second Amendment. Uh, and they did it all at the expense of the First Amendment rights of the now endless stacks of bodies of innocent people who are gunned down with clockwork regularity that they long ago lost sight of any original mission they may have had and so their their years of just hard lobbying and advocacy and messaging is is something that we in the marketing industry can learn a lot from and take things from uh, i mean sadly they put their efforts and innovations into making sure that abusers and mentally unstable criminals can get access to the weapons of war and carry out hateful mass killings uh now probably would be a good point to mention like last week it was a synagogue but yet another one took place just up the road from us at a uh, university in charlotte uh just as we were having a meeting yesterday and uh you know naturally our, our deepest condolences uh, go out to the families and the students who were uh, murdered or who sustained injuries in that terrorist attack but uh one thing we've seen in this country is that no matter how heinous and incomprehensible the violence carried out by homegrown domestic terrorists gets 
The NRA has had effective messaging and effective tactics, which have had measurable policy or lack of policy impacts for a long time. So we must study what made them so successful for so long, uh, whether it's their conventions, where they bring people together from industry, uh, their ratings and their scores that they cook up for lawmakers, uh, their face to face and their gra grassroots organizing. Uh, they have a broad fundraising and due paying memberships uh, effort. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things, uh, and we need to take those lessons and turn them into ways to apply pressure on lawmakers to do the right thing for progressive policies that the vast majority of people uh, in the country have been demanding for far too long. Um, but in closing, their, their <laughs> amorality and their willingness to sell the country out to the Russians looks like it's going to be their downfall, and uh, I just want to say it couldn't have happened to nicer people. Well, and and just one more note on, on them. It's kind of... as. Uh... It's a, it's a nice moment because as the long coming fall of the NRA happens and, and they're, they're grasping at straws for what they have left is happening, we have an environment that is just due to tear them out of the ground. It is incredible to see the NRA fracturing. I think they're buckling under this pressure that's coming from a lot of different places. People within the organization have been dissatisfied with the NRA leadership for a long time. Um, there are people who... Uh, are you know anti-gun and want to see you know gun control policies come into just just be discussed like you know just have any type of uh, action on gun control be taken and there's a huge appetite for that and yeah. and you bring up the the Parkland kids especially like their social media savvy and what they're doing for this whole generation which has just lived through school shooting after school shooting after school shooting. Uh, the appetite is changing, the climate is changing, and, and we can really see, um, we see an opportunity here to affect uh, some serious uh, messaging around the gun control issue. I think like that moment is coming, uh, coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, and maybe some faux pas, because I think that, do you remember the um, when they had the, the clan hoods on the Thomas the Tank engines in their ad? Did you see that? No. There was there was on NRA TV there was an ad that had the Thomas the Tank Engine cast and they were very very overtly referring to uh, to the clan and it it did not land well at all. I mean it landed well with some of them. I mean but but it's it's not fair to assume that everybody who subscribes to the NRA is is you know a down home, you know, racist. A lot of the people who are running it are but not necessarily the people and i think that that was one of the things is they they assumed that you can just dig and dig and dig into this into this racism we because we found that they can't yeah it's not a bottomless well apparently for uh the nra demographics which are which are pretty varied um one of the interesting schisms that just has happened during the last nra convention uh was some controversy over the nra uh tv and their nra uh advertising partners they've they've really invested in uh putting video content out through their sort of nra tv arms and and there's there's been a lot of failure in there that we like to laugh at uh, but one of the big things was oliver north one of their uh biggest people in their leadership uh, was contracted and earning millions of dollars and just not putting out any content uh, for this NRA TV show that he was supposed to be doing. So uh, really interesting that they're now suing or being sued by their uh, advertiser who's shelling out for that, uh, who's contracted to make this content. So they, they're trying to do innovative things in, in media, but um, uh, apparently it's, it's coming back to bite them in other ways too. So um, I'm, I, for one, I'm glad to see it. Absolutely. Uh, but we got to move on. Uh, is, yes. there anything, is there anything else we haven't covered from the past week that you want to get into? Um, well, just a little a little tidbit. There's a 21-year-old college student named Hunter Kelly who appeared to publish a, a Medium post on Monday alleging that the South Bend, Indiana mayor, Pete Buttigieg, who sexually had sexually assaulted him early this year, um, but Kelly said on Monday that he didn't write the post. And that the allegations, which didn't include any specifics and are uncorroborated, were made up. The source reportedly uh, provided the Daily Beast with an audio recording they say features Jacob Wool attempting to uh, convince this source to make false sexual assault allegations against Buttigieg, which is... Yeah. Yeah, Jacob Wall is a, a great character. Uh, if anybody doesn't know Jacob Wall, uh, was, I believe, banned from trading... Uh, for just running all sorts of crazy schemes as a 
as a very young person, I want to say maybe even as, as a teenager, um, he's had all sorts of financial penalties levied against him. Uh, and then most recently tried to convince uh, clerks to come out against Robert Mueller with fake sexual assault allegations. And there was I like a, that. just this half of a second where we had uh, people trying to pick up the narrative that Robert Mueller had been sexually assaulting people. Um, that, that, it's pretty criminal what he had done, and I, apparently he hadn't learned that lesson. He's trying to do that against Mayor Pete now. Um, what a what a classy guy, Jacob Wall. Um, let me, if you'll indulge me, um, Venezuela, a source of just unending <laughs> frustration for everybody when when you're discussing it, because either you look at Venezuela and you say that's why socialism doesn't work. Or you look at it and you say, this is an example of taking um, uh, economic sanctions too far. Um, Nicolas Maduro, who was properly elected the first time and maybe not so much the second time, um, was just a thorn in the side of just about every conservative. And and to be honest, I mean, just everybody in America, I'm... He has done some terrible, terrible things. Um, he's locked up political prisoners. He has stolen money from from the people and just done terrible things. Um, and for a long time has been just some someone that, that John Bolton has had it out for. Um, and earlier this year, uh, a gentleman named Juan Guaido of the most conservative by Venezuela's standards political party um, through a, a method in the in their constitution um, was allowed to be brought up by the international community and say Juan Guaido is the rightful um, is the rightful leader of Venezuela not by any <laughs> decision of the people of Venezuela although it's not that they were saying we love Nicolas Maduro, but we, the the royal American we, chose Juan Guaido because he's probably going to help us out. And not to, we'll, we'll avoid the conspiratorial sides of that, but it, it may be that some people in the administration would have benefited very handsomely by that. Um, so what happens? We recognize Juan Guaido. Nicolas Maduro says, absolutely not. Why are you doing this? This doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, and then slowly but surely, England and Germany and many other countries in Europe and, and abroad say, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. We all have been trying to push Nicolas Maduro out for a long time. I uh, he's He should go. But here's the problem with what's happening. We're creating a, a, a possible vacuum in Venezuela for the sake of demonizing socialism and uh what what a jump you've just made kevin no not really because how many times have you heard your your friend or your coworker or your uncle say well you 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 millennials and your socialism have you seen what happened in venezuela well have you seen the fact that we have been putting 20 i think we've been taking is it $20 million per day from the Venezuelan economy for over 10 years in economic sanctions? And then we say 10 years later, wow, look at Venezuela. They fell apart. Socialism is bad. Would Venezuela have fallen apart? Is um, what Venezuela under Nicolas Maduro doing wrong? Probably. And yes. Did we stick a dagger in the heart of someone in a hospital bed? Yes. We ended Venezuela as we know it instead of trying to fix the problem. I agree. There don't seem to be a whole lot of like geostrategic elements to what's going on in, in the way that we're provoking um, Venezuela right now. Yeah. Uh, it just seems to be focused on being able to uh, use socialism uh, as this example uh, that they can message around. Um, the White House is just so keen to conflate Latin American socialism with general democratic socialist policies here in the United States. Um, and and it, it seems to be pretty effective. So this is really something we need to keep an eye on. 
Um, we do you have any other points you want to make on this before we? Yeah, I mean, if if you if you don't stop me, I'm going to talk about Venezuela for three years. But another big thing that just really grinds my gears about this is that as John Bolton tries to as John Bolton tries to potentially create a civil war. I mean, when you look at what's happening in Venezuela right now, it does not feel that different from the beginning of the Syrian conflict. We we topple a regime, we say, no way, this guy's bad, and then we put a red line and we aren't willing to go the next step. Also create an, a famine. Uh, that was another big part of putting stress on the people of uh, Syria. That is also the exact same thing that's happening. It's the same playbook that we're executing in uh, in Venezuela right now. Absolutely. And and then let's jump to the border. Like, what what do you think this is going to do Like when the migrants come here? Is Trump going to suddenly open them, like welcome them with open arms because they're Venezuelans because he gives such a shit about Venezuela? No, he doesn't. It's just it's 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 such a policy win domestically for Donald Trump at the expense of millions and millions of people. And I will put my soapbox away. Let's move on to counter messaging and counter manipulation prescriptions for what we saw this week. I think um, it takes a long time to even unpack the extent of the attacks uh, that we're suffering right now in the United States, um, especially like the post bar letter spin effort, uh, which was deeply coordinated with the White House in a way that really hurt the public opinion on what the results of the Mueller probe found. Uh, many of my friends who I'd talked to with this feel demoralized and, and don't think that the Mueller report was the, the silver bullet or the uh, consequential moment that they were hoping it would be. Um, one thing we must do now is put effort into uh, sort of shifting that paradigm. People are going to continue to be charged. There's a Russian who's going to jail this week. Uh, Stone Roger Stone's time in the barrel will be soon. Uh, the 20-plus spinoff investigations uh, from the original Mueller probe aren't going away. And the facts that were clearly laid out uh, in just the report alone, uh, from what we've seen of it, are, are damning enough and indicate extreme criminality. Um, I want to draw attention to page 220 of the Mueller report, where uh, it's at the conclusion of just the introduction of to section two. Um, I'm going to quote now, the, the proper supervision of criminal law does not demand freedom for the president to act with a corrupt intention of shielding himself from criminal punishment, avoiding financial liability, or preventing personal embarrassment. And to the contrary, a statute that prohibits official action undertaken for such corrupt purposes furthers rather than hinders the impartial and even-handed administration of the law. Uh, this, I'm editorializing now, is just to say that the president is not above the law. Uh, anything he does to impact the correct uh, administration of the law uh, is problematic. Uh, and to go back into the paragraph, it's it aligns with the president's constitutional duty to faithfully execute the laws. Uh, and so finally, to quote Mueller, we concluded that in the rare case in which a criminal investigation of the president's conduct is justified, inquiries to determine whether the president acted for a corrupt motive should not impermissibly chill his performance of his constitutionally assigned duties. Uh, the conclusion that Congress may apply the obstruction laws to the president's corrupt exercise of the powers of office accords with our constitutional system of checks and balances and the principle that no person is above the law. That's crazy. Uh, it's clearly Congress's job now to pick this up and run with it. Hold hearings. The debate over whether they need to be impeachment hearings is or not is so self-defeating. We need hearings to even establish proper course to get at the 6E grand jury testimony. Uh, and we need to bring the Mueller report's findings to life for people. Sunlight is the great disinfectant. So my counter-messaging recommendations will be only to focus on making sure that Congress knows that its constitutional duty is to investigate the president and ultimately remove him from power so he can be charged uh, if they find uh, what Mueller alludes to. Congress has this job to do now. That's the premise that everyone must accept because anything short of that is an abdication of their really urgent and really critical constitutional duty. I think that's right. I mean, it's while I understand the argument and the conversation of is this politically viable which i don't know and i don't think really anybody knows like is 
let's say that this all plays out and is the Senate going to gonna convict? Probably not, but not necessarily no. But I think the broader thing is that we have to say that's not the point. What precedent would it set? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what, what precedent does it set? Like, what does this say when when Trump 2, which is absolutely going to be a thousand times scarier than Trump 1 and probably not as dumb? What happens when he comes in? We have to start these set these precedents like we've we've had let's see what is it uh three impeachment trials we've had johnson uh nixon and clinton none of them none of them were nearly as bad as what's happening now to be fair actually i don't remember what johnson was for but i don't think anybody does we'll cut that out um none of them were nearly as bad as what trump is doing i mean he um, the, the, the big thing is that we have to think about the precedent. What do we tell ourselves in 20 years? Did we do the right thing? If Trump gets four more years, but we prevent this from being set as okay, it's going to suck, but it's going to be, it's, it doesn't mean that he's not going to do something else stupid in four more years. It doesn't mean that, that it's going to it, we, we can't, we can't, oh my God, we can't throw away American democracy just for the sake of not wanting to lose a couple of fucking seats in the Congress. It's the biggest thing about the Constitution. I'm a huge Constitution person. There are three copies of the Constitution in this apartment right now and one in the truck because it matters. It's separation of powers. It's such a simple but beautiful concept that works and has worked for a very long time. But now we have a, a branch of this of this government that's saying no it doesn't it doesn't matter and we have to have at least half of it say hold the fucking phone we have to have at least half of it say hold on this is dangerous and is is absolutely unacceptable and i think that i think that it would behoove everyone to really really think about what trump 2 is gonna look like if we don't keep this from happening again because, I mean, who's to say it won't be a Democrat the next time? Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, somebody much smarter and much more dangerous uh, is is absolutely a possibility. You know, democracy is participatory. You know, like, it's it's our project. And we have to have ownership of it. So the executive branch, if it gets completely out of line, uh, then we, we have to do these types of things to uh, to try and rein it in we have these co-equal branches for a reason and uh they have a job to do it's clearly spelled out uh that's that's the counter messaging is we have to accept that premise and we have to we have to launch from there uh we can't dick around and say oh well you know there, we have a political game to play and we want to make sure that we maximize you know one thing or another we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how to maximize messaging for electability and and getting the most out of uh your advertising and your messaging and your communications for the upcoming election that's it's it's deadly serious to us and we're going to focus on that but there are things that sort of supersede that um and and this i think rises to existential for yeah the democratic pro you know project that we have here um Think about the republic, uh, and 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 do it for that. Uh, that's that's our message to Congress. Do it for the republic. Episode title. This podcast is brought to you by Shame. If you work in the executive branch and you're tired of taking taxpayer money and telling yourself you're a public servant because you know somewhere deep down that at the end of the day you're advancing the policy agenda of a monstrous wannabe oligarch and admitted serial sexual assaulter, you should try Shame. Shame is a new product from Blue Ridge Strategic designed to be applied directly into the space that your heart once occupied. With Shame, you can think about your actions in the context of how history will remember you and change your participation in or enabling of atrocities that will stain the country's conscience for generations. Shame reduces the chance of your soul being filled with regret after your passing and not being able to leave and transcend the astral plane, leaving you trapped indefinitely on Earth as a phantasm or poltergeist permanently haunted by your misdeeds and the consequences of the evil you had a hand in spreading, unable to rest for all of eternity. Known side effects of shame include a better night's sleep, increased honesty, quitting your job and becoming a whistleblower, and occasional leaking. Talk to your doctor today about shame, and then let me know what it's like to have health insurance and talk to a real doctor. Now it's time for our next segment called What We've Learned. 
Polls have shown that since the release of the four-page bar spin letter, uh, the bar press conference, the redacted report, and the subsequent media blitz that anyone even tangentially associated with the White House went on over the past few weeks, Trump has had none, zero, zilch, no results that indicate any improvement in his standing with the nation at large, who continue to see him for the con man that he is. Uh, anything you want to add about the polls? Well, I mean, it just shows that that it didn't really matter what was in as far as public opinion goes yeah. it didn't matter what was in the mother report they, they see him for what he is yeah um, presidential candidates continue to enter the race at a steady clip uh joe biden threw his name in the hat uh last week and that was a pretty exciting moment uh that's shaking things up a little bit uh we're at the end of the first fundraising cycle where everyone has to report their earnings uh so we want to really quickly take a look at the candidates who are generating the most bang uh and buck and what their messaging looks like 538 has uh, a really incredible 2020 fundraising breakdown that we will link in the show notes uh, where they put um, the candidates on a chart uh, with one access being the total amount that they raise and the other with their name recognition. And that's a, a really interesting representation of uh, how people are doing right now. Uh, up until the moment that Joe Biden announced uh, Bernie Sanders had both the highest name recognition and the most amount of money, uh, and he was just trailed by Elizabeth Warren and uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, and then pretty much everyone else uh, really fell down on uh, name recognition and on the total amounts raised. And, and that's something that we can we can un unpack. But uh, Bernie Sanders, I think, has led the pack uh, with a little over $20 million, uh, $20.5 million. 74% uh, of that small donors, that's his big... Uh, his big argument, uh, 74% small donors, uh, is pretty incredible for him. Uh, he's followed by Elizabeth Warren, uh, about 16 and a half million. Uh, she had a pretty good war chest, uh, that she retained. Uh, that's about 60% of it. Uh, but she also has about 25, 26%, uh, small donor participation in, in the last quarter. Um, Kamala Harris, uh, about a 50, 50 split, small donor and big donor. Um, not a large war chest as a, uh, as a new senator, uh, but the the money uh, is definitely following uh, the biggest horses we expect when Joe Biden has to announce his uh, his fundraising that he's probably going to do uh, really well. Real Clear Politics has a great uh, chart where they they just average out what the uh, presidential nominees' uh, poll ratings looks like, and uh, as of the first week of May, uh, Joe Biden has just jumped out to a ridiculous uh, commanding lead. He looks like, on aggregate, around 30 to 33%. Um, he's followed in second by Sanders, who's got about 20%. Uh, and then there's a there's a pretty steep cliff behind that. Uh, Warren, Buttigieg, Harris, uh, Beto O'Rourke, uh, they're all under 10%. Uh, so this is what the race looks like uh in the spring of 2019 uh it'll be really fascinating to see how that um shakes out as as we go through the summer and as things uh start to move but uh this is this is the state of play uh joe biden came out with a very obama heavy messaging he had uh he's been using obama's uh email lists You've been getting a lot of his emails and, and unpacking those really interesting uses of all lowercase in the subject line. Uh, that was something that I thought was fascinating. Uh, but the the races, I mean, it's it's really it's really underway. We got twenty plus people, and we're gonna do our best to unpack the messaging for you as it evolves. I think we've seen Elizabeth Warren really jump ahead as the policy leader. I mean, she puts out these uh, extremely wonky uh, papers on policy just at a regular a policy clip. for everything she has a policy for everything and um you don't hear a lot of the other candidates pushing back against those i think she has a firm grasp on what um the democratic party is going to ask of their candidates and i think she has a lot of great proposals I, i'm sure that there will be uh time to fight over what those proposals are but she's absolutely setting the tone so uh she's one that we're you know, excited about and, and, and watching uh, very closely as well. But we'll see when Joe Biden starts throwing policies out there and um, as, as Bernie's uh, policies, we'll see how they have evolved from the 2016 cycle um, when he was very, very widely loved. And uh, it's going to be fun. 
Well, I think another interesting thing, especially when you how you brought up um, Warren, is a lot of people are like, oh, my God, there's too many people. We're all going to start infighting, which, you know, there's always going to be some of that. If there were two candidates, there would probably be an equal amount of infighting as if there's 100 candidates. But the interesting thing about having uh, 20 candidates is you do have for at least for now, Elizabeth Warren is the one who when someone says, what does this policy look like? Elizabeth Warren says, I told you a week ago. And then, you know, when Pete Buttigieg says, what does it look like to 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 respond to every single thing that happens like like um with notre dame when when he just immediately like off the cuff pulls out this beautiful french response like that was that was inspiring he's we're getting little pieces of what we're getting towards and i think that ultimately whoever is gonna try to win this primary is gonna have to pull from all the best things so why not have a bigger pool of uh of candidates you know you get you know, it's, it's kind of almost like the diversity argument, you know, and uh, the more perspectives you have, the better product you end up with. I, I really strongly agree with that. I think the the bigger perspectives is important. Uh, the broader amount of policy, uh, you know, on the spectrum from far left to closer to the middle of the road, people like maybe Amy Klobuchar, uh, you, you have those arguments are allowed to be hashed out. So you you are going to get these discussions, and you are going to get um, you are going to get some movement on uh, where the Democratic Party wants its policy leaders uh, to be at. And this is the time to do it. This is the time to do it. When you have two, three candidates, like maybe you're spending a lot of time thinking about electability early in the primary season. Mm-hmm. When you have twenty, you can really uh, vote with your heart, and then once the primary is over, you can vote with your head. And that's yeah. something that Democrats. I have not always been great about. Um, It'll be interesting to see. One thing I do want to mention uh, about Kamala Harris uh, is that her campaign this week hired uh, Jim Margolis, who is a partner at GMMB and uh, was the two-time Obama campaign alum. He is a huge pickup for her. Uh, I think that 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 is a, is a massive weapon to add to the arsenal. Um, she is a inspirational figure herself um, and Democrats really need to deliver uh, women and women of color to have any shot in 2020. Uh, and Harris having a, a GMMB person working uh, for her as a, as a designer doing ads and, and uh, communications is, is going to be awesome. Uh, so very excited to see uh, Jim get in the race. And that is what we've learned. Yeah. So next, what we plan, and this is really the meat of uh, why we're here. Um, what we plan to do uh, in the next week to two weeks uh, is start a couple projects that we're going to bring you guys along for the ride with. Uh, one of them, crafting personas. Uh, this is something we do in, in marketing all the time, uh, is crafting personas uh, to sort of understand how a certain type of end user uh, gets uh, delivered information. Um, but we want to track uh, the way personas and way people get uh, experience nudging and nudging towards radicalization. Uh, This is going to be an ongoing and recurring part of the show is seeing how uh, some of our conservative personas uh, get uh, drug into some of these uh, shady uh, messages and see what they get exposed to. It's going to be part of our intelligence gathering mission. Um, And it's something Kevin can go into further detail down the road because this is, you're going to be the lead on on this project. Yeah, I guess, um, just to set to set what my project is is gonna look like, I'm gonna set up a couple of um, accounts, and uh, let's talk YouTube. So I'm gonna start them off maybe checking out the inauguration. Um, watch watch that speech. You know he's gonna hear our um, the American Carnage speech. The American Carnage yeah. speech. Start there. Leave it on autoplay for a little while, and then see where we get. And maybe start uh, another one. Maybe in Charlottesville, then maybe start a couple that are going to be more into the Steve Bannons of the world. You're going to run Gab in no time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and every once in a while, check in with this poor, poor, poor person. See what kinds of ads they're getting on, uh, you know, go on to Reddit. See where am I getting, what am I getting suggested? Am I suddenly getting, what's what's the friend thing? Do you know anything about this? They, they took... Pepe the Frog and made him a clown 
and he they talk about being friendly, F R A N, and they're all friends. Uh, but it's yes. it's just a front for white nationalism and Nazism. So see if I get pulled into these these kind of more subversive uh, white nationalists and racist areas. Um, also see what different kinds of gun ads I, I get because um, full disclosure we are both gun owners here responsible gun owners but gun owners so we do get the occasional either nra ad or you know like i'll get a, a concealed carry ad every once in a while and i'm really interested to see whether or not this gentleman gets some of the more scary things that that show up like the the just bizarre KKK Thomas the Tank Engine ad. Like, I need to see this ad. You, we're going to stick it in the show notes so that you can see it as well. It's crazy. It's fucking crazy. Um, but yeah, and uh, just generally launching someone into um, the the dangerous descent of radicalization. It's going to be really important to uh, do a lot of this research on the mummification of the white nationalist stuff because it evolves very quickly. And one of their agendas we see is to try and make it as digestible as possible. Yes. Uh, they, they come up with all sorts of ways to, to be, as you said, subversive, but also make it into the, the public discourse. So uh, we're going to track it. We're going to see uh, where they go and, and try and stay on top of what their uh what their, you know, not just their imagery and their iconography looks like, but what their what their signals are. So the personas is going to be a big one that we're going to return to uh, again and again. Anything else you want to add on that before we move on? Just I'm not not looking forward to hearing that speech again. Yeah, you know, you could put it on mute. That's true. That's true. We'll just have it running on the background. Yeah, that's <laughs> good luck to you. Uh, <laughs> I've I've left the personas uh, task to Kevin so that I can focus on um, one of my my big plans, which is uh, we're located here in the shadow of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, we have a very purple ninth district here in North Carolina, uh, which had a very contentious uh, and scandalous race uh, that needs to be rerun. Um, this was a congressional seat uh, that should be a really good place to test a scattershot of messaging uh, on all sorts of uh, progressive issues. We think it'll be a good environment to uh, simulate uh, deeper into a presidential race because uh, voters uh, in North Carolina's 9th District have been tuned into the, the scandal there. Uh, they're, they're really plugged in, and we're going to test their receptiveness uh, to uh, advertising. Uh, it should be a really good uh, environment to do that. Agreed. I mean, it's... it's uh... All of a sudden, we're people who do not know about politics in my circle, who who just stay away from it. Suddenly, we're talking about it. Um, I do think that the the field is is ready to to have these seeds planted. I'm really interested to see how people respond because that could really represent the places that can be taken advantage of moving forward in the primary and further into the general election and beyond yeah definitely i mean uh on one hand we do want to assist uh dan mccready who's who's running again for uh for that seat uh in in his race but we also want to take advantage of the environment around his race as well so um it's going to be sort of a dual prong uh approach just to uh see just to see where it leads um so that'll be one that i'll keep you guys updated on um all of those things will be available to you uh, if you want to look deep into the weeds of the the, the data that we collect and uh, and those will be available to you uh, in the newsletter um, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more but the the only other thing that we have uh, planned that we have cooking that we want to share with you uh, is a little bit of the dark arts uh, that we talked about um, right now uh, you know we're, we're clearly passionate about uh, the NRA issue and one of the things we want to do is is sort of see if we can't step on their throat a little bit uh, and sow some seeds of, of discord. Um, we aren't going to go into a whole lot of details about what that effort will look like. It does have a lot to do with targeting uh, influencers who are in the, the gun uh, media scene uh, that are not necessarily associated with the NRA. Uh, maybe some of them are, but we will give the details uh, in the newsletter and, and we'll keep you apprised of how uh, our anti-NRA and anti and NRA uh, fragmentation 
effort uh, goes. It'll be fun. It'll be be interesting. All right, now it's time to do the KPIs. But first, our ad efforts are supported by our parent company, Blue Ridge Strategic, a resistance enterprise in a world increasingly shrouded by gaslighting and disinformation. If you want to support this mission and see these ads, assets, and education efforts that we discuss on this show in your timeline, and as you scroll Instagram instead of the bedside table Amazon would like you to buy, then your email can join a separate control group to receive them, as well as get delivery of our famous newsletter with deeper insights on our data and access to the ads and the assets we cook up in our shop by joining our mission as a supporter on Patreon. Subscribers allow us to refine our tests and expand our mission and become more accurate and useful overall. So thank you for all your support so far, and uh, thank you for considering joining us as a supporter on Patreon. Back to the show. Okay, time to do the KPIs. One of the most powerful tools in a Facebook marketer's toolbox is custom audience, which allows marketers to retarget their ad campaigns to individuals that they've already been interacting with Um, marketers can create custom audiences from a variety of sources and these include their own websites like via a uh, facebook tracking pixel a little piece of uh, javascript that lives in the header of your website um, as well as their own customer files like your like your email lists Uh, the latter which uh, matches individuals to their Facebook accounts using information such as uh, email addresses and phone number have proven to be especially effective and are you know really popular as a result. Uh, so at, at the same time, custom audiences enables the kind of advertising that some consumers find a little bit creepy. Um, if you've ever felt like you were sort of being stalked around the internet, like uh, this, this is because of that advertising. Um, a lot, a lot of people aren't familiar with the ways that their personal data that they supply to businesses that they interact with can be used to target them on platforms like uh, Facebook and Instagram. So uh, perhaps with that in mind, Facebook um, seemingly facing a never-ending stream of uh, bad headlines uh, that has really soured its reputation with consumers um, and definitely intensified scrutiny of its practices has uh, made a couple changes uh, they announced this week to custom audiences uh, to reduce the potential for abuse and increase transparency and ensure compliance with laws such as uh, GDPR. Uh, So last year, the world's largest social network began requiring marketers to certify that they have obtained consent to use custom audiences data that they upload. Uh, Then it began requiring marketers to specify the origin of that for possible display to the end users as a part of a uh, why am I seeing this ad like tool that users can access if they want to learn more about why a particular ad is appearing in their newsfeed. The company also updated its terms to ensure that audience data shared by a company with a third party, such as an ad agency, uh, was done with Facebook's knowledge. In uh, 2019, the company has continued to expand what it reveals to its users about the ads that they see. Uh, In February, it announced the, why am I seeing this ad section for an ad could display the name of the business that uploaded the user's data and detail the specific information that was used to match the user to a custom audience. But now... As part of a broader push to help its users understand why they're seeing content in their newsfeed, Facebook has updated the why am I seeing this ad tool to include the names of any marketing partners with whom custom audience data was shared, uh, as well as the dates which the data was uploaded at and, and you know where applicable shared. So, Kevin, is this an opportunity in the making? Uh, well, this move won't immediately affect Facebook marketers, at least as far as their ability to employ custom audiences is concerned. Uh, but that doesn't mean it won't have an impact. Uh, until now, companies have been able to advertise their wares in digital channels with a high level of confidence that the intimate details of their activities are largely opaque to the public. Uh, that's changing. And while consumers might not spend the time to investigate the whys and hows of the ads they're seeing on Facebook, marketers should consider the possibility that their competitors could. Um, For example, with some effort, it's not inconceivable that a company could find ways to use transparency tools like the why am I seeing this ad to learn about the data its competitors are collecting from customers and how they're employing that data in their Facebook ad campaigns. It could also use the tool to learn about marketing partner relationships that aren't publicly known, which I think is very interesting. With an understanding of how their competitors are targeting their customers on Facebook and with partners that they are working with, savvy marketers might even be able to adjust their own Facebook marketing strategies to a positive effect. Um, While this is all very hypothetical at the moment, 
companies would be wise to start thinking about how increased transparencies could create competitive risks and offer new opportunities to monitor and respond to competitors. Yes, it is certainly something we'll be investigating in our sort of intelligence gathering practices. Uh, and that data is something we'll be sharing with our subscribers in our newsletter. Um, but it will be relevant to uh, the crafting personas that we want to do and um, probably some of the dark art stuff as well. Uh, so uh, that's very interesting. Um, other, other KPIs to think about, uh, the Google search protocol and Google Display Network ads um, are, are sort of on a downward trend right now. Uh, psychologists are, are really starting to come back with data that says that people kind of tune out ads that live in the banners and on the like right and left rails of a website. Um, data on the delivery of those ads may be great, but it's kind of white noise mentally to people who are opting uh, more and more for like cleaner browsing experiences on the whole. Um, so engagements, uh, especially swipes are, are going to be better KPIs to think about. Um, it's, it's inline content usually that people want, uh, and people will in instinctively swipe sideways when they get uh, a carousel ad, like the ones that are, you know, more and more popular on Instagram. Um, but that said, like click throughs and signups <laughs> are, are still going to be like KPI gold. Cause if you're getting that level of engagement, then like you, you start to harvest data, uh, and really start to, you know, be able to chase people around using the Facebook pixel. Um, but that's, that's just something that I wanted to point out. Uh, it shouldn't be like shocking, breaking news to anybody, uh, but we want to continue to, to affirm that. Absolutely. So finally, uh, just to, just to look ahead what we're watching for, um, we just, uh, just before we sat down, uh, attorney general Barr just finished testifying before Congress. Uh, that was an event. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, um, do you have any hot takes on that you want to briefly um yeah so one of the interesting things that happened is that lindsey graham inadvertently told the world that trump could in fact be charged with obstruction of justice sure that was not something he went into that uh hearing hoping to do but it was certainly something i was excited to see uh I, my theory on that is that john mccain's ghost is clearly haunting lindsey graham and uh i think he's not getting a whole lot of sleep and so he didn't run that uh, hearing very well. The uh, only other thing that I have on here that we're watching for is uh, Robert Mueller himself testifying before Congress. Um, news broke just last night that he was dissatisfied with Barr's handling of the uh, Mueller report. Uh, do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so special counsel Robert Mueller told uh, William Barr Attorney General William Barr, that his letter to Congress at the conclusion of Mueller's investigation into Russian interference uh, mischaracterized the special counsel's report. Uh, he complained to Barr that his four-page letter, quote, I think not it's, fully capture the context, I, I, I always nature, watch and Mueller substance, end quote, as, when he's so uh, quiet about everything. Uh, so quote, far, there is now know, public confusion about and for him critical to aspects go of the out and say this, uh, results of the investigation really this shows threatens to pissed. undermine a central purpose for which the department appointed the special counsel to assure full public confidence in the outcome of the investigation. I mean, And so, and so he's, I mean, it's, it's crazy that he's calling it out because it's just not in Mueller's, uh, it's not a characteristic that we see of Mueller. He's definitely a Boy Scout, uh, does everything by the book from what we've seen so far. So this is crazy. We've entered a totally crazy time and there's a deadline for him to come testify before Congress. You know, we're going to have that in the next, uh, two to three weeks at most. In the immortal words of former chief of staff, John Kelly, we're in crazy town. Yeah, the, the quote was, he's an idiot. It's pointless to try and convince him of anything. He's gone off the rails. We're in crazy town. Well said. Thank you. Anyway, back, back, back on the rails. Here we go. No, that's it. Uh, that's what we're looking forward to. I don't, I don't have anything else uh, for you on that. Uh, it's time to wrap it up and get out of here. We, we got to try and finish these meetings uh, off because they're, they're so heavy to talk about these things that are so serious. But um, 
it's also important to like remember that life is going to continue to go on even in an authoritarian state like life continues to go on um we certainly encourage everyone to like you know get in there be tuned in be vigilant be active uh keep up the protesting you know get involved in you know all the local organizations you can um volunteer your skills uh but but also like get out get away from all of this and protect your mental health and like just have a balanced life um so try try and just like remember that you know take a moment and like watch some sports and spend time with your friends and family and your loved ones and, go like, outside go outside just like tune all this out get some vitamin c we had we had a lot of fun uh just hanging out in the gym and uh doing some rock climbing yesterday that was a, a really awesome time it was a blast um, and and it had nothing to do with any of this politics stuff so uh please take a moment and do that in in your personal life uh as soon as you can if you're like me and you get uh, bogged down by all this stuff, uh, that that said, I don't I don't think I have anything else for you. I got nothing. Okay. Until next time. Adios. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about our mission and how you can get involved, please check us out at blueridgestrategic.com, where we've linked our socials if you want to get in touch with us directly, or send an email to blueridgestrategic at gmail.com. Especially if you have corrections. We're human. We make mistakes. Uh, we'd love to have those. If you're a communications professional or a volunteer working on elections or progressive issues and you'd like to talk to us about what we can do to assist you in your mission, don't hesitate to reach out. We can share skills and, and best practices with you. Uh, if you like the content you've been hearing, it, then please consider leaving us a rating or review. It costs you nothing and helps us out with exposure mightily. Uh, if you can find time to do that, then we thank you very much. We'll see you next time.